Ooh, I'm coming to Jesus, let me tell you. I'm there. He's a mighty good Lord. I love that line. Well, it's good to be here with you in worship this morning, and I bring you greetings from our moderator, Reverend Elder Nancy Wilson, from our elders, from our senior staff at Metropolitan Community Churches, and from your senior pastor. I was with Harry this past weekend uh, at a Readiness for Vocational Ministry retreat, which is a, a program that my office sponsors for uh, persons who have answered a call to ordained ministry in MCC. And I tell you, the whole weekend, Harry just could not stop talking about you all. He is just so excited to be here. And I have to say, I'm so excited to have him as a colleague in ministry. I've known Harry for a number of years and have had a chance to work with him on several HRC projects. So I'm very excited to have him as a colleague and also very excited for the work that God is calling you all to do together in this place. Uh, to change not only Houston, not only Texas, and, and I'm, I'm a Texan, folks. I'm uh, from Austin, just right down the road. But uh, to change the world. So God is, uh, is going to do incredible things, continue to do incredible things in this place. So thank you for your faithfulness and for, uh, for your open heart uh, to where God is leading you. The question that we heard uh, this morning in the gospel lesson that the Sadducees asked Jesus kind of reminds me of a, a joke I heard not long ago. A couple made a deal that uh, whoever died first would come back and let the other one know what the afterlife was like. So after many years, the husband was the first to go, and sure enough, he was true to his word. One night in a dream, he comes to his wife, and he says, Mary, Mary. And Mary says, is that you, Fred? So you've come back, just like we agreed. So what's it like? What's the afterlife like? And Fred said, well, I get up in the morning, and I have sex, and then I have breakfast. And then I run around the golf course and have sex, and then I bathe in the sun, and then I have some more sex, and then I have lunch, and then I go around the golf course again, and then I just kind of have sex pretty much all afternoon. And then uh, after supper, I do the golf course again, and, uh, and then sex again before I go to bed. <laughs> and Mary exclaimed, oh, Fred, you surely must be in heaven. <laughs> and Fred said, well, not exactly. I'm a rabbit on a golf course in Arizona. <laughs> poll indicated that there are actually 74% of us, 74% of Americans do believe in a life after death that includes um, a heaven uh, with a, a place where people go who have led good lives. And it's interesting in that same poll, uh, only 59% of the folks who responded said that they believe in a hell where people go uh, who do not repent, who uh, lead bad lives. Well, in this chapter in Luke's gospel uh, this morning, the Sadducees, uh, they don't believe in an afterlife. And so they're trying to trap Jesus by asking him questions about the afterlife. And just a few verses earlier, they try to trap him using uh, questions about taxes. You may remember that passage of scripture just a few verses earlier where um, they want to know, uh, you know, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar, to the emperor? And Jesus asks them for a coin and says, well, you know, whose, whose head and whose title is on the coin? And there's that famous um, response uh, from Jesus, uh, pay uh, what's to Caesar uh, that belongs to Caesar. Render unto Caesar that which is Caesar's and render unto God the things that are God's. 
And so that's the context in which we hear our verses today. And I think the verses that we've heard for today are probably the earliest recorded use of marriage as a wedge issue. They try to trip up Jesus by bringing in family values. Isn't that interesting? The Sadducees were actually referencing a law in the book of Deuteronomy that claimed that if a man died without fathering a son, it was required by law for the brother to marry the widow, to impregnate her, to raise up an heir that would carry on the family name of the deceased brother. So the Sadducees really didn't care one way or the other how this whole thing would work out, you know, who the woman would be married to in the afterlife because that's not their point. They don't believe in the resurrection, unlike the Pharisees who do. So they cite this law, carrying it to the extreme, to try to trap Jesus and to try to make life after death look ridiculous. Because for them, the resurrection was just simply a repetition of this life uh, with the same conditions. But Jesus, Jesus takes this response, uh, his response uh, to the conversation, to a whole new level. He says... God is not a God of the dead. God is a God of the living. Resurrection isn't a puzzle to be solved, but it's a reality to be lived. For Jesus, the resurrection life is not just a future hope, but a current crucial aspect of our existence. It's not only about the hereafter, but it's about here and now as well. We're all children of the resurrection. In this program that I mentioned earlier, the Readiness for Vocational Ministry program, we call it REVM for short. Uh, this past weekend, we asked students, uh, participants to write about three questions. One question was, what do you live for? The other question was, what keeps you from living for it? And the third question was, what will you miss when you are dead? Well, I was really moved by some of the answers to that last question. Uh, one student who had struggled many years ago with anorexia said that now she would miss her body. Another student said she would miss hope. And another student said he would miss toast and coffee because the way he eats his toast is the same way his mamma ate her toast. And at some point before she died, she could no longer eat toast. And so he wondered what things he would give up or what things he might not be able to do before he actually encountered physical death. All of these responses made me aware that eternity does not begin with death. As Christians, we are children of the resurrection, and that means we participate in eternity now. Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is within us, and he taught us to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The kingdom of heaven is a condition of the heart, not just something that happens on earth after death. But like the Sadducees, we've 
tamed the resurrection or we've taken it to the ridiculous by making it simply a doctrine to believe in rather than a reality to be lived. For some people, you know, we get in these arguments over whether or not there was actually a literal bodily resurrection of Jesus. And we argue over whether or not there really is a physical place like heaven and a physical place like hell. And it's like these arguments become more important than whether or not anybody's life has been changed. And for many Christians, the resurrection does mean the promise of an afterlife. But it's so much more than that in the here and now. When we look at the biblical witness, when Jesus appears to his disciples after his resurrection, you know, they don't walk away saying to themselves, wow, now we can go to heaven. No, they say things like, weren't our hearts burning within us? I mean, when Jesus appeared to them in that locked upper room, he didn't say, I now give you the promise of life after death. No, he breathed on them the spirit of his resurrection. My peace I give to you, not as the world can give, but as only I can give. He set something free in them. He let them loose on the world. The Apostle Paul tells us that the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you and dwells in me. The disciples didn't walk away from Jesus' resurrection preaching immortality. They walked away practicing resurrection. Those disciples who had denied and deserted Jesus just days earlier were radically changed. And they practiced resurrection every time they told somebody about it. Every time they shared their experience of the risen Christ. Listen to what poet Wendell Berry says about practicing the resurrection. Every day, do something that does not compute by the world's standards. Love the Lord. Love the world. Work for nothing. Take all that you have and be poor. Love someone who doesn't deserve it. Expect the end of the world. Laugh. Be joyful, though you've considered all the facts. We practice resurrection when we name and share the new thing that God is doing in us. And when we name and share the things that we are doing to bring new life to others. That new thing might be recovery from an addiction. It might be sharing a decision to forgive someone. It may be coming out to a family member or a friend. It may even mean saying goodbye to a pastor you have known for many years and saying hello to a new pastor who will lead you in paths yet to be discovered. Writer Nora Gallagher ponders that there's something we resist initially about resurrection. Sometimes we're afraid of the new life that it offers us. A new life that's free from the chaos and confusion and pain of the old life. 
We don't quite know how to step into this new thing, this new life that God is offering us without our old past to fill it. But every time we have the courage to step into the new life that's not familiar to us just yet, we practice resurrection. Whether or not we believe in the resurrection makes no difference if we don't make a different life. Jim Wallace, in his book, God's Politics, tells a powerful story about practicing resurrection. He tells a story that took place in South Africa when, to all outward appearances, apartheid still had a stranglehold on the power uh, there in that uh, country and that Nelson Mandela was still in jail. And during that time, Wallace was in attendance at an ecumenical service at the Cathedral of St. George's, where Archbishop Desmond Tutu was presiding. And when he was at that service, a group of the South African security police broke into the service. And this is what Wallace writes about that experience. Tutu stopped preaching and just looked at the intruders as they lined the walls of the cathedral with their writing pads and their tape recorders. They had already arrested Tutu and other church leaders just weeks before and had kept them in jail for several days. And after meeting their eyes with his steely gaze, Tutu acknowledged their power, but reminded them that he served a higher power and so in the most extraordinary challenge to political tyranny, Wallace says, that he's ever witnessed, Archbishop Desmond Tutu told the representatives of South African apartheid, since you've already lost, I invite you today to come and join the winning side. And he said it with a smile and with an enticing warmth in his invitation, but with a clarity and with a boldness that literally took everybody's breath away. The congregation, their response was electric. The crowd was literally transformed by the bishop's challenge to this power. They were transformed from cowering fear, fear of this heavily armed security force that had surrounded the cathedral and had greatly outnumbered that band of worshipers. And the congregation literally leapt to their feet shouting praises of God, and they began dancing. And they danced out of the cathedral to meet the awaiting police and the military forces who really didn't know quite what to do with these dancing folks pouring out of the cathedral. So they just backed up to provide more space so that they could dance their dance of freedom and liberation and resurrection in the streets of South Africa. Ten years later, Wallace says that he attended the inauguration of Nelson Mandela as president and Archbishop Tutu was there and so Wallace had a chance to ask him if he remembered what had happened 10 years earlier and Tutu said yes he did remember and Wallace reflects apartheid didn't die on the day that Mandela was released or inaugurated Apartheid died the day of the celebration in the church when they danced for freedom in the streets of South Africa. How is God 
calling you, Resurrection MCC, to step into, to dance into the new life that is before you? How is God calling you to practice what your name says? Resurrection. I think sometimes resurrection scares us because we want to cling to an old life that's familiar rather than risk the new thing that God wants to do inside of us. Brothers and sisters, let me remind you that we serve a God of the living, not of the dead. We serve a God of resurrection. We serve a God that shows up when we practice resurrection. So let us be brave enough to step into the new life to which God is calling us each and every day. Amen.